0: We are following the work of the Holy Spirit as he intersects with human life in the book of Acts in this series called Godspeed. And this morning we will read a section of this chapter before we talk about this story of Paul and Silas and its companions being called by God into a new unknown pagan realm in a place called Macedonia, which is northern Greece. So we're going to read this text together starting in verse 16 down to verse 24. Luke, who inserts himself into the story and reminds us that he was there too, he says, Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. This is the word of the Lord. One of the scariest prayers that I ever prayed was not a prayer of adventure, but it was a prayer of boldness that God might open my eyes to see the spiritual realm. I was in the midst of a, a ministry trip with our high school kids when I was the youth pastor, and... After a long day of seeing God do crazy work and fun things happen and building relationships, I came back into my room and I laid in my bed and I was looking at the ceiling and I was thinking, man, like there is so much spiritual stuff going on beyond the scenes. Like there's angels and demons and there's wrestling and spiritual warfare and battling. I wish just for one second I could see what the world looks like through God's eyes. I don't know. So I got this bold idea that I was going to ask God to show me the spiritual forces at work around me. And I remember laying in my bed and staring up at the fans spinning around and just saying, God, please just show me. Are there angels in my room? Are there demons in my room? Like, What, what is the spiritual battle? What's the climate look like? I just want to see it for a moment. And as I started to pray that, I started to get very quickly Terrified. God did not give me a vision, but what God did do is start to remind me what types of things I would see if He did answer that prayer. And I started wondering do I really want to see how many demons are in this room? Do I really want to try to go to bed after praying a prayer where God shows me that there's a demon sitting on my nightstand, like watching me sleep or something? I didn't know what I was going to see if God opened my eyes, but when I thought to the scriptures of when God did that in people's lives, It's a scary sight. And so I said, never mind, never mind, never mind. (laughs) I'm just going to trust that you're at work and that all this is happening behind the scenes. And the reason I I tell the story is because in this series, what we're trying to figure out is, how does our life here on this planet, our physical life, How can it, and how should it, and how is it supposed to relate to the spiritual life that we know exists in this room around us? How do we participate in the spiritual world around us? It's a question that we might ask ourselves every every once in a while, because sometimes it feels like we just go through the motions of life, and we live in this physical world, and it doesn't seem any different than the person next to us at work or the person who lives across the street from us who doesn't even believe in spiritual forces. Should our lives engage in some way with these spiritual battles? Where does the supernatural come in? Where do things like demon possession come in? How do we go to war, in a sense, against the spiritual forces in this world? This is what we're wrestling through in this series called Godspeed about the work of the spirit in the life of the believer. And in this text, in Acts chapter 16, what we see is that the Apostle Paul has a moment where God does break through and show him something in the spiritual world. We see before he enters into Macedonia, Paul is in this place called Asia Minor. It's in Turkey. And he's bouncing around. He's doing ministry. He's seeing God do great work. And all of a sudden, the ministry opportunities start to dry up. He tries to go into a country, and the Spirit doesn't let him to. He tries to engage in a city, and the Spirit says, no. And we start getting this sense that something new is around the corner. And then in chapter 16, verse 9, Paul has a vision. Luke writes that during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, that's northern Greece, standing and begging him, come to Macedonia and help us. In a lot of ways, this is kind of exactly what we would hope that God would do. Right? If you ask God, give me direction, right? show me what you want to do with my life. I wish that God would give me a vision of some person that, saying, hey, move to this place and help me here. Right? I wish that God would give me a vision of my neighbor saying, Danny, wake up, come to my house, share Jesus, I'll say yes. Right? I wish that that's the way that God worked, was that we would get visions of specific people that God would say, go to this person, trust me, and something great will happen. And Paul has a sense of that, this vision of a man begging, come to my country, please come and help us. But I think we need to realize that for Paul, this wasn't a vision of a guy across the street. This was a vision of a guy halfway across the world. It wasn't a vision of someone that he was similar to. This was someone who was in a place very unlike his own. Macedonia was in the heart of a world far from what Paul was used to. Paul was used to working in Jerusalem. Paul was used to working in Israel. Paul was used to working in this quasi-Jewish area of Asia Minor. Paul was not used to going into a place where nobody believed. Luke tells us that when Paul gets into Macedonia, he starts looking around for the synagogue and he can't find one. All he finds are a couple of women sitting by a river and praying. That's the extent of the Christian or the Jewish presence in this entire country. It's just a couple of ladies who happen to follow the God of the Old Testament. This is uncharted waters. This is spiritual darkness. This is ancient Greece, a place that had their own gods, their own worldview, their own way of life, which was very dissimilar to the life that Paul was advocating through Jesus. The, the thing that I want us to ra- wrestle with this morning as we walk through this text is that God has called us to extend his presence into places of darkness. You might think that going across the street is just going across the street, but if you're going across the street to follow a prompting of the spirit to bring the gospel to someone, that is a place where spiritual battle is happening. And some of you feel this, right? You go to work and you want God to use you there, but you feel like you're just hitting a wall all the time. It's like everyone's turning against you. The culture is turning against you. The climate is turning against you and you feel like you just wish that God could use you more but it's like it's a battle to be used by God in your workplace. There's a chance that your workplace is a place that is a place where there's spiritual battle. Where there's actual demonic forces at work where there's actual systems in place that are trying to push you away. There's a chance that your family is a spiritual battle. There's a chance that your classroom at school is a spiritual battle. There's a chance that working with your own children can be a spiritual battle because everything in the culture in which we live can tend to try to push out the Jesus whom you preach. And so when you start to walk across the street or walk across the room or go through the neighborhood... To engage someone for Jesus, there's a chance that there's a lot of spiritual forces at work that really don't want you to do that. And that's the experience that Paul has as he gets on a boat and sails halfway across the known world to ancient Macedonia. We've been doing this podcast as we walk through this series, and I've been interviewing these different people who have crazy stories of the Spirit breaking through in their life. And this last week, I had an opportunity to sit down with a woman named Deanne, who spent 20 years of her life as a witch before coming into Christianity. And to be honest, and I think I told Deanne this already, to be honest, I was really looking forward to interviewing her because I wanted to hear a lot of crazy witch stories. (laughs) Like, I just kept picturing her with a black hat and a cauldron and a cat, right? Casting spells. and, And she's someone that I know has had a lot of demonic type of activity gone on in her life around her, and so I was in the podcast, if you listen to this, you could hear me kind of grasping for straws, I keep asking her, hey, tell me a story of something crazy you saw, tell me a story of when something dark manifested, tell me a story of when you cast a spell or did a tarot reading and something crazy happened, and she kept saying, oh yeah, nothing really like that ever happened, nothing really like that ever happened, and I'm thinking, what are you doing? Tell me the craziest stories. And finally, we got to a point in the interview where she said, Danny, I didn't see any crazy demonic stuff until the moment I became a Christian. And that's when literally all hell became, began to break loose in my life. I wanted you to see this just little part of the podcast this week.
1: I think one of the most dangerous things that a Christian doesn't realize is that the moment you say yes to Jesus, you've just stepped into a spiritual battle. Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, spirits, demons. And that's what he's talking about, things that are in the heavenly realms. You know, The Bible says that when Satan was cast down to earth, he took a third of the angels with him. Those are demons Mm -hmm. and they exist. And there is a war going on. And as a Christian, we step into it the moment we say yes.
0: That's so interesting that you lived in this place where on one hand you're saying well that those were the doctrines of demons this witchcraft and wicked religion all that but it just felt pretty plain now it's... you step into christianity and now you're in the real spiritual war because now you've made the enemy angry
1: and and the funny thing is is that the devil i didn't believe in the moment i said yes to jesus i i have often told people this that for the first year of my life in Christianity, from coming to this church and just living my day-to-day life, let me tell you, the enemy that I thought didn't exist made it very poignant every day that he existed, and he shook everything I loved and held dear to the core.
0: Can you give us an example? So, I'm sure an personal example
1: is in. is that I was in a relationship that was a really good relationship. The moment I became a Christian, that relationship not only unraveled, but this person that I really cared about, in the end, became very demonic and possessed himself. The job I worked at for 20 years, all of a sudden, my boss quit, and they came at me like a vengeance because I was her assistant. Um, My son was dealing with seizures and sickness, everything I loved started to shake. And it was because for me, and, and I, as I look back, that was the hardest year of my life. You were involved, so you kind of know you walked with me. But um, what a lot of people don't realize is, as I look back now, it was, I depended on myself for 20 years. And I really believe that not only was God embracing me when I was going through that, but he was also teaching me that my place in the kingdom was to be very aware of spiritual battles. Mm -hmm. We all have a position in the kingdom of God. And I believe as a wicked woman, God, when I was brought into Christianity, now said, now you will be able to see the enemy for who he is Mm -hmm. and pass that on.
0: So so the irony is you existed in this religion before Mm -hmm. where there was all this spiritual force stuff going on but it felt really it felt it felt normal and then it almost seems like you step into christianity and now it all breaks loose my
1: eyes were completely open it was like that scripture that says the veil is lifted all of a sudden it was like oh my
0: goodness i just i can't believe what i'm seeing Ephesians 6, verse 12, the Apostle Paul reminds us that our battle, and D mentioned this, is not against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And when we go out and engage the world with the gospel of Jesus, this is the battle that we go into. A battle not to try to convince people to follow Jesus, a battle not to be nice so that people start to like us, right? a battle where crazy things are at play in the lives of individuals that we cannot see. And the moment we start stepping into the work God has for us, all of those things can start to manifest themselves. The scriptures tell us that when Paul walks into Macedonia and starts his ministry road, he he encounters, and this is the text we read this morning, uh, a young woman who was a slave and was possessed by some sort of spirit that in, in the text that we read, it said it was a spirit by which she predicted the future. This is Acts 16, 16. The interesting thing is that when you look at this text in the Greek language, it doesn't actually say a spirit that predicted the future. It actually says a spirit of pythos. But nobody really knows what the word pythos means because it's not anywhere else in the Bible, and yet if you do a little research on Greek mythology, like the the way that the people in that country viewed the world, Pythos was the name of one of the Greek entities in their mythological system that was this mighty serpent that existed to try to prevent the god Apollo from setting up a house of worship in southern Greece says that when Zeus, this is not in the Bible, this is Greek mythology, that when Zeus tried to establish where is the center of the universe, of course, it ended up right in the middle of Greece. And so he sent Apollo to build a house of worship there. But Apollo, in order to set up this house of worship, had to battle this serpent called Pythos, who was hell-bent on keeping him from establishing a worshiping presence for Apollo and for Zeus and for the Greek gods there in that locale. So then the Apostle Paul walks into the same country, and the first person that he meets is this human being who's possessed by a demon, and the demon's name was Pythos. And the person is functioning in that same way, like the spiritual realm saying, if you want to get into this place, if you want to establish a house of worship in this pagan world, if you want to upset the way that we see the world and change our worldview, Paul, you're going to have to get through Pythos first. In the ancient story, Apollo had this gold bow and he jumped into a cave where the serpent was sleeping and he had to get the serpent at night and stab him to the ground and then finish him off. And it's this epic battle between Apollo and Pythos and it's crazy. And so when you read this, you kind of anticipate, okay, what's this epic battle going to look like? What's it going to look like when the apostle Paul battles the serpent Pythos and they're going to come head to head and they're going to wrestle all night. But that's not what happens It says that when Paul was walking with this woman, she kept calling out, These are servants of the Most High God telling you the way to be saved. And this demon is trying to announce their presence to blow their cover. And eventually Paul gets annoyed. It says in verse 18 that finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. It wasn't an epic battle. It looked more like this scene that I couldn't get out of my mind this week from Indiana Jones. You remember this scene? This is 1981, Indiana Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, Paul doesn't do battle. Paul doesn't wrestle. Paul doesn't engage the demon. Paul looks at the demon and says, Jesus says you need to leave. And the demon's like, runs away. (laughs) And I feel like as we read this text and we start anticipating the darkness and we're worried about the spiritual battle and we're thinking about our own lives and how hard it must be to wrestle at that level, I think what God is trying to show us is this. The Spirit of God is more powerful than any entity that may come against you. Right? This is not a story of Paul versus Pythos, Apollo versus Pythos. This is the story of the God who created the heavens and the earth versus this phony demon made up by a people group who wanted to invent a bunch of gods. And the spirit of the, God, the, spirit of the living God, this Holy Spirit, just immediately just sends him away the apostle john reminds us in 1 john 4:4 4, 4, that the one who is in us is more powerful than the one who is in the world. That when we go out and try to engage in spiritual warfare, we are not when we battle against flesh and blood uh, against spiritual forces, we are not like taking the devil by the horns and casting out demons and rolling up our sleeves. The spirit of god is more powerful than all of that with the name jesus. Like clay said this morning, boom, the spirits flee. The darkness trembles. We start wondering what's going to happen when this new little religion called Christianity walks into a scary dark place like the Greek Empire. And what we see is that the moment Jesus' name is uttered, the Spirit breaks through the darkness and starts to bring light. And wherever it is that God has called you to engage with the darkness, when you're thinking, oh, my battle's not against flesh and blood, it's against these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, your job is to not go in, roll up your sleeves and battle demons. You know, I asked Deanne in our interview, you could listen to that this week, I said, how come you're not a demon chaser? Like, why aren't you one of those people? Like, you've seen this stuff. You've She's got crazy experiences, people coming at her, trying to murder her, shouting out these crazy phrases with demonic voices and having to wrestle through that in her own home. I said, why haven't you seen, okay, this is real. I got to go start casting demons out of everybody. She said, because demons are really scary. She said, don't you remember that story in the Bible where those guys were going around trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus and the name of Paul? And the demon said, I know Jesus and I know Paul. Who are you guys? And then the demon like attacks him and leaves him bloodied like the demons are are nothing to be reckoned with by us, but to Jesus, he is the powerful one. She said, my job is not to go chase demons and wrestle them out of people. My job is to go to Jesus on behalf of people who are wrestling in darkness and ask him to do mighty work in their lives. The spirit of God is absolutely, infinitely more powerful than any entity that can come against you. And we see that as Paul just walks up to this woman and just sends the demon away. You kind of imagine that at that point, people's heads would turn and they'd say, well, this is awesome. What is this? But like we talked about last week, the moment that you start working with the spirit, people are not going to be happy about it. And the same thing happens to Paul. This demon gets cast out. This woman who had told the future through her demonic fortune-telling type thing, she no longer has those abilities anymore. And so her slave masters get angry. They find out that Paul is advocating the name of Jesus, so they drag Paul and Silas into the marketplace. They bring them before the community. They say, these men are upsetting our manners and our customs by preaching this other God. They're Jewish. They're trying to turn upside down our whole Roman way of life. And so the community turns against Paul. They turn against Silas. They beat them. They flog them. They strip them, and they throw them into prison. You can see that in verses 23 and 24. It says, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he had them put in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Paul doesn't battle the demon. Jesus does. But then all of a sudden, humans come after him. Systems come after him. People try to take them down. I think for us that becomes the hardest thing is that, yes, there is a spiritual world out there. Yes, that we can ask Jesus and pray and he can do amazing things. But sometimes the moment we engage in that spiritual battle and Jesus starts working, the people in our lives, the systems of this world, the community in our our homes or in our workplaces start to turn against us because they don't like the way that this Jesus thing is upsetting the way of life they've been used to for a long, long time. This community does everything they can to shut Paul up. Like They beat him. They throw him in jail. They throw him in the innermost cell of the jail. It's like insult to injury. Is that a word? They lock the door. They put his feet in the stocks. They take a guard with a sword and have him stand right outside that door. It's like a scene from X-Men or something, right? Where they find some villain and put him in this crazy little cell because they're trying to hope that this person's power, whatever it is, can be localized and diminished and they can be in bondage and and the rest of society can be safe from this person's radical way of thinking. So Paul, the apostle Paul, Is in jail, in a straitjacket in a sense, like Hannibal Lecter, guarded with a sword, doors locked, because he's a menace to society. And in that moment, all him and Silas can do is pray. They sing to the Lord. They keep worshiping, even though they find themselves in this place. Their spirit is not broken, even though their bodies have been broken. Their their spirit is not broken even though their freedom has been dashed to the rocks. They just keep seeking the Lord even though it seems like they've lost the opportunity to see God work in that place. And Luke tells us that while they were praying, all of a sudden the ground starts to shake. And as the ground starts to shake and the earth starts to quake, all of a sudden the prison doors start coming off their hinges and opening up. And all of a sudden, the the shackles on their legs open up. All of a sudden, the jailer, they look over and he's asleep, right? All of a sudden, all they see between them and daylight is a clear pathway to freedom, and they can see that God is not just powerful over the demons and the spiritual world. God is powerful over iron. God is powerful over bars. God is powerful over the sleep pattern of Roman guards. God is powerful over all things. That in the same way that we learn that the Holy Spirit is more powerful than any entity that can come against you, what they learn in that moment is that the Holy Spirit is more powerful than any entity that can come against you. Right? God's power does not limit to the spiritual realm but God's power frees them and opens up the door for ministry over all the physical and human and spiritual world and so they sit there and if I was Paul I would start tiptoeing my way out of the prison <laughs> and the guard wakes up and he realizes oh no what's happened right I would have been like let's get out of here But Paul, who's a better human being than me, yells to the jailer who's about to kill himself because he thinks that he lost all of his prisoners. He says, don't kill yourself. We're all here. Like he's sitting there on the floor with a pathway to freedom, and he just says, I'm not going anywhere. God loosened my chains. God opened the doors. God put you into a deep sleep, but I'm not escaping I'd rather live here in bondage than see you die by your own sword. We're still here. And we see that in verse 29, the jailer calls for the lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and then asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It was fascinating to me that this story begins with Paul and Silas a long way off And they have a vision of a man from Macedonia begging them, come and help me. And now the story ends with Paul and Silas sitting in jail in Macedonia and a Macedonian man begging them, saying, tell me how to be saved. It's like God had orchestrated that entire thing. The demon, the ship ride, the flogging, the jail cell, the chains, the earthquake, everything just so that Paul could have an opportunity to share the gospel with a man whose heart was primed for it because of the way that he saw God do crazy things and the way that he saw the human beings who loved God react to the way God was working. It's crazy to me that God would send someone over land and sea and spend so much of his life just to reach that one person, this Macedonian man. And yet when Paul chooses not to escape from his prison, God uses that moment to help Paul minister to someone who desperately needed Jesus. There's a chance that you're in a place where you feel like you're in prison and maybe you need to get out, right? Maybe you're in a relationship that's abusive and you need to run. Maybe you're in a place that's unsafe and you need to go. But maybe you're in a place that feels like a prison just because you hate it and you're wondering, God, why would you have me here? Everyone hates you. Everyone mocks me. Everyone makes fun of me. No one loves the fact that I'm a Christian. Everyone is constantly telling me how dumb I am. And maybe God is saying, hey, stay there. I'm more powerful than any of this. And I can use even this to create a moment where the whole tide of culture can be changed through you. That's what Paul gets to experience in this prison cell in Macedonia what we see in the story is that it is the Spirit's job to fight the darkness, not ours. Our job is to keep up with the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who's moving. The Spirit is the one who's casting out demons. The Spirit is the one who's causing the ground to quake. The Spirit is the one who's changing lives. The Spirit is the one who orchestrated the whole thing. Paul just kind of has to keep up and see what he can do to help. And I love that way of looking at life, right? Because sometimes I feel like it's my job to go run after this amazing thing for God and do great things for God and show God how amazing I am. And see, I knew you could trust me with this God, right? That's not, Paul doesn't ha- Paul has no idea what's happening. The spirit knows what's happening. And Paul is just thinking, okay, I'm just going to try to keep up with this one here. I think we could take that to the bank that as we navigate life in this world, it is not our job to show God how many battles we can win. It's not our job to go chase demons. It's not our job to do wrestling matches with the enemy. It's our God to recognize that God is doing something, that he wants us to engage with him along the way and ask him to move in people's lives, ask him to free people from the chains, ask God to send us into places. But at the same time, he's doing way more work than we ever could. And it's our job to just sense what he's doing and look for opportunities to participate in it. I talked to somebody before the first service who who had been wrestling with that passage we talked about two weeks ago, where Peter and John go up the steps into the temple to heal that man who had been lame for 40 years. And what this guy told me this morning was, what struck him in that passage was that if this man had been disabled for 40 years of his life, then that means that there were several times that Jesus himself walked past this man and didn't heal him. He didn't help him. He just let him stay in his pain. And he said, I bet it's because Jesus wanted to give an opportunity to some of his disciples to partner with the Spirit to do something amazing. I said, I love that way of thinking. That You know, the Spirit is the one doing all the work, but every once in a while he gives us opportunities to do something small in his kingdom. And it it gives glory to his name, and it's energizing to us, and it gives us a glimpse of the supernatural, and it's unbelievably cool But in a sense, we worship him, we follow him, we are not driving this thing. We are, we're barely even in the passenger seat. It's the spirit's job to fight the darkness. Our job is to keep up with him. And so here's the challenge this week. When you see God doing something, or when you sense him doing something, treat it as an opportunity to participate. What if every time you sensed that God was giving you a nudge, you felt like, you know what, maybe this is an opportunity God has given me to to step into his kingdom in some way. What if every time you saw someone, you wondered, is that person possessed? Is there, is there some demonizing happen in their life? What if you treated that as an opportunity to say, you know what, God, I'm going to take a moment, I'm going to pray for that person, because maybe you'll use my prayer to bring some freedom to them. What if every time you hear about something dark in this world, you take an opportunity to say, God, how could you use me in this? I'm here, use me. And maybe it's your prayers, maybe it's your feet, maybe it's your finances. Who knows what God will use? But if we look at this world, like the Apostle Paul says, not in the same way as we used to, but in a spiritual sense, we will see that God is constantly at work around us. And if we treat those moments as opportunities to step in and ask, how can I help? I think we'll be blown away at what the Spirit does, not just around us, but even through us at times. And this morning, as we close in prayer and and prepare to sing, I want us to take a moment and just stop in the rhythm of our lives and ask God to give us eyes to see, not demons everywhere, but give us eyes to see places where he is inviting us into his work. And I want us to walk from this place and trust that if we pray that prayer, our eyes will see and hopefully our hearts will be broken and our feet will follow and our prayers will follow as we follow the spirit into the darkness. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing together.